Well, good day, everyone. I'm Sam. And I'm Jack. And welcome back to The Extras, our 25th episode today. Uh, that's exciting. Quarter of a century. Quarter of a century. May, yeah. there, may there be many, many more. Um, <laughs> welcome, Jack. It's good to have you back with us here. Um, thanks for your work in uh, the book of Genesis over um, the last couple of weeks. My pleasure. Um, yeah, um, we've got a few questions coming out of Genesis 15 and 16 today that we're going to try and dive into. Quite a good list of questions here, actually. Um, but just uh, help us get into the zone, uh, remind us of, of where we've come from over the weekend and uh, yeah, what, what things were in God's Word last Sunday. Yeah, so Genesis 15 and 16 is all about, it's all about faith. So we see Abram come to God initially full of doubts. He's been given these promises, you know, he's going to have land and descendants and blessing. And yet, he has no children yet, he has no land, he's feeling the tension of that, so he comes to God and says, you know, what's going on? God gives him the promises again and takes him outside and says, look at the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have, reminds him of his power as the creator, and Abram believes the Lord, he, he has faith. And we see how God credits righteousness to Abram because of that faith, he regards him as in a right relationship, we see mm-hmm. how God makes a covenant to give him confidence and even when Abram goes off and does um, something terrible and lets this mess happen in his family through Hagar, his wife's slave, God still carries on with his covenant because it's not the the perfect faith that will justify. Mm. It's even faulty faith like that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, fantastic chapter. And, and that key verse in, in verse 6, isn't it? God, Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Um, yeah, so we're going to try and dig into some of that um, today a little yeah. bit. Um, and the first question is sort of along that line and, and, and picking up on what you just said in terms of, because um, we're often a lot like Abram in that we are sinful people. Um, and if and if faith comes from kind of listening to, uh, is, is listening to God's word mm. um, and trusting it, um, the question here is, look, our hearts are wicked and we don't naturally turn to believing in God by ourselves. So... If, if we if we're wicked and Abram was wicked too, mm. um, how do sinful people actually trust God's word? Yeah, I mean to start with, the answer is on our own we can't, and that's something that I think you see all throughout the Bible. You see it in in Romans chapter three, for instance. Paul he's just talking about how people aren't righteous, and one of the things he says is, you know, no one seeks God, no one understands, no one is trying to come to God and just really would you know would love to believe if they're just given the opportunity. Yeah point seems to be human hearts are always turned away from God. Yeah. And sometimes you can hear the word of God and it not bring forth faith. The Bible shows us that too. So you see Jesus in somewhere like Mark chapter 4, he's, he's talking in parables and he, he says the reason he speaks in these sayings that aren't always totally obvious is so that some people will be hearing but never perceiving, be seeing but never understanding. The point seems to be sometimes you hear the word of God and it doesn't bring you to faith, it just it hardens people and they're already turned away from God and the word hardens them in judgment. So if anyone is going to turn to God when they hear the word, it's not because of what's in our hearts, it's because of what God does. Another thing Jesus says, you know, he says, no one will be born, sorry, what does he say? You, you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, yeah. unless you're born again by the Spirit. And it takes a work of God's Spirit in our hearts to turn us away from sin, to, to make us want to turn to God in faith. And it's only at that point that we'll respond in faith. So, so really here we're, we're in the, the doctrine of what we call regeneration, is it that, that even from the very beginning, even perhaps before you put your trust in Jesus, that it's a, it's a work of God by His Word, by His Holy Spirit, to 
even give you the desire to listen and put your trust in God's work. And that, that's how faith begins and faith kind of carries on in that regard. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, yep, so how can we, as wicked, sinful people, have faith? It's because God enables us to, as, yeah. as he did with Abram. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's great news. It doesn't depend on us in the end. It's God's gracious work to give us the faith that we would never bring forth on our own. Yeah, thanks be to God. That's a good thing. Mm. Um, okay, now this one, we if you were there on Sunday night, um, we, we started addressing this one, but it's a big topic, so we, we promised that we'd come around to it again. Um, and it's just getting our head around... Um, this whole idea of the word of the Lord coming to Abram and we're just trying to get some more clarity on that. Um, Mm. It it does sound, if you read it one way, that that it's almost like the word of the Lord is like a person Um, and and we're just trying to understand that. Is is this a person visibly manifesting to, to Abram here or is this just a way of talking about God speaking? Yeah, there is this idea out there that the word of the Lord is this character, even in the Old Testament, who is God appearing in something like a human form. And you can kind of see how you get there. So Genesis 15 verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, and God says, This man will not be your heir, and so on. And in the very next verse, He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky, count the stars. So it kind of sounds like the word of the Lord comes and speaks to Abram, and then the word of the Lord takes Abram outside, almost like he's this guy standing there in front of Abram saying things. Yeah. I mean, you could read it that way. And... I'm, I'm still learning and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be persuaded more on this, but at this stage, I, I feel like it's not the most natural way to read these words, particularly when you see how that phrase, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, is used throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament. Because that's the, it's the standard way that a prophet starts speaking God's word. It'll yeah. say, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel... Yeah. saying so on and so on. And it, and it seems to be just a way of saying, this is what God says. Yeah, The word of the Lord is God's voice. It's him communicating something. Yeah, okay. To say there's someone standing there, I think that goes a little bit beyond what the text is saying. Yeah. All that said, though, there is something else going on in the Old Testament when we talk about the word of the Lord. You start to see these glimpses of it being something more. So you have... Genesis 1, God is the one who creates the world by his word, you know, and God said, let there be light, and it was so. One of the big verses in the Bible for the doctrine of creation is Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So at one level, that's saying God spoke and it happened, but it also seems to be saying something more, that, you know, the word has this power, this, you know, it does things. God's word gets sent out, God's word does things Mm. all of that is kind of in the background when you get to the new testament when john the the writer of his gospel he he says the word was with god the word was god the word became flesh and i think all this stuff about the word in the old testament is in the background of that you have this word that is what god speaks but it's also what god does it's something that is kind of expressing things about god and yet it's a way that god works all of that, John seems to attach to Jesus and say, Jesus is that word who was there at the beginning, who was there, all things were created through him and for yeah. him. All that's going on there. Yeah, so a lot going on there. I mean, the word, yeah. yeah, like really complicated stuff here. At one level, it's just, this is what God says, but there seems to be more. There seems to be this picture fleshing out of something that is God and yet is distinct from God. And then it's only in the New Testament that all becomes clear and we realize mm. this is telling us something about who Jesus is. Yeah, okay, so pulling some of those threads together there, um, perhaps, and I mean, I think some of these questions come out of, I think the Bible Project has something on this, trying to 
make sense of who the word is, mm. um, and and that there is something more to what the word is. But perhaps where we're up to in Genesis, it, it might be reading a bit too much in at this point to to see too much there because there's this other sense in which you know just as as a king speaks that their word can go out in in a sense of just saying that that they've said something and they've made an edict um that that is the more natural reading in genesis but not to downplay the fact that there is more around the word that's going to be developed throughout the bible yeah i think that's right it's it's one of the things we often wrestle with is where in god's progressive revelation of himself are we up to because god doesn't give everything he's ever going to do and all that he is to Abraham. It's it's yeah. not all there at the start. God, you know, it takes thousands of years for God to give us the full picture. So sometimes it's a tricky how much of the new do we read into the old? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's helpful. Good good mm. discussion um to be had there. That that's helpful. Um got a bunch of questions now, Jack, on uh the the covenant ceremony of, of these animals cut in half, the smoking fire pot, um yeah. that, that happens at the end of chapter fifteen. Um so a couple of details or a details question to kick us off. Um Abram cuts the um, animals in half, but he doesn't cut the bird in half. Um, why? Is that against God's instructions, or is he, was he sort of maybe scared to make a commitment or something like that? Uh, what, what's his motivation in cutting some but not others? Yeah, short answer here, I don't really know. But I think there is a, a little bit to say. For starters, it seems like Abram doesn't get told what to do with any of the animals. So verse 9, God says, Bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram and the two birds... And in verse 10, Abram brings them and he cuts them in half. So he doesn't get told to do that. And to me, that seems to be saying Abram kind of knows what's going on. When God says, all right, you know, bring the animals, it's almost like Abram's saying, oh, okay, I get it, all right, yeah, I'll start making the preparations for this ceremony thing. Mm. I don't know, it doesn't say that, but that seems to me like the way that Abram is, is responding there. Yep, yep. So I don't think he's being disobedient or anything like this. I mean, there's, there's this thing later on in Leviticus, sometimes when a bird is offered as a sacrifice, it kind of makes this provision, you know, don't completely separate the bird, you know, just like wring its neck, just kill the yeah. bird, don't chop it up. Yep, yep. What was it, Ludovicus 5.8, was that yeah, the one we looked at? Chapter yeah, chapter 5, yep. I don't, yeah, I don't really know if that's the same thing that's happening here in Genesis. In the end, we're just not really told that much. Yep. Sometimes we have lots of questions, you know, you could ask all kinds of questions, like why does it have to be these three other animals, you know, why exactly a heifer and a goat and a ram? Why do they have to be three years old? And I don't know, like there may be significance to that, that would have made sense in their culture, but it's, uh, yeah, I think it's just a bit lost on us. Yeah. So at one level, the, the lesson is sort of the text will tell you what you need to know and not necessarily answer every detail that, you, that you're that sort of interested in. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, all right, following up on that, um, the, the covenant ceremony sort of represents the fact that God will keep his end of the, the, the benefit sort of on pain of death, mm. um, cross his heart, hope to die, that kind of idea. Yeah. Um, questions come in is, is that sort of therefore are we meant to believe on the basis of fear is that what's going on here because God is, is committed on, on the pain of death um, yeah is this God scaring Abram into obedience yeah it's a good question because I think there are some pretty scary elements in this ceremony I mean we just kind of read the text and it's easy to just skim over the words but you know they're cho- there's, there's chopping up animals there I'm assuming there's you know blood and guts flying around like this is a pretty violent scene in a lot of ways then you have from verse 12 onwards Abram gets put into this uh, deep sleep verse 12 says a thick and dreadful darkness came yeah. over him like that sounds pretty foreboding yeah I don't want to be there yeah that's right and then you know this stuff he talks about in the dream like it's it's serious stuff going on so I'm sure there's some scary elements here mm-hmm. But I don't think that means that God is trying to scare Abram into faith 
at this point. Because remember how this chapter starts. Like God came, God, God came to Abram, chapter 15, verse 1. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Yeah. This whole thing that Abram's saying is he's saying, don't be scared. Like there's scary stuff that happens in the world. What he's talking about in that deep darkness dream is, you know, Abram's descendants are going to be slaves in another country. They're going to be mistreated. Like there's, there's dark stuff that happens. But God seems to be saying, even through that darkness, you know, I am making this covenant. Mm. I am your shield. I'm going to bless you. It's, it's not, it's, I mean, there's stuff in the world that makes Abram scared. Yes. But God is wanting him to believe despite that, like not yeah. through that. Yeah, that, that's helpful. So the, 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 what God is doing is not scary here. God is actually, the, the covenant is designed to do the opposite of that, to actually re- reinforce yeah. that, that Abram can trust even in the face of fear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, well, so on this covenant ceremony, really helpfully um, sort of opened up for us on Sunday, so thank you for that. Um, but you made the point that this is kind of God, um, there's a significance that only God passes through the pieces and there's God unilaterally, as in on his own, uh, taking responsibility to, to sort of enact this covenant. Um, the question has come in, well, how am I, as kind of average reader of the, the Bible, to be able to get that out of this passage? It just feels like that's not necessarily the, the, the clearly there in the text for me. So how do I get to where you've got to in understanding this? Yeah, and it's such a great question. Like, I love that there, there is this desire to read and understand the Bible for yourself. Like, that's something we all should keep doing. I'm really encouraged to hear that question. I thought maybe it'd be helpful just to explain how I got there. And part of the challenge with preaching is, like, yeah, I, I love to show as much of the working as I can to help you come along with me. And sometimes, there's, you know, there's just so much and there's not enough time. But for this passage, so, you know, last week I opened up Genesis 15, read this bizarre ceremony with chopping animals and fire pots walking through and I'm pretty confused to start with as well so what do you do when you come to something particularly in the Old Testament that's just weird and confusing like that well the first thing is just just have a read of the chapter a couple of times and work out what can we know from the context of this part of scripture Mm -hmm. so some of the things I think you can know straight away just looking at this chapter you look at verse 18 after the covenant ceremony and it says on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So that's why we know it's a covenant ceremony. God's saying, yeah, all these things just happened. That's that's God making this covenant relationship. Yeah, okay. So that's one thing you can get from it. Yep. Secondly, look at why this, sorry, not why, but where this whole ceremony thing sits in the passage. It comes just after verse 8, where Abram's asked, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it, as in the promised land? Abram's looking for confidence and he, he wants to be reassured yeah, yeah exactly so it seems like whatever the ceremony means what it's meant to be doing is giving abram confidence about yeah. god's promises yeah so you've got two things there he's he's being reassured and god's making this covenant saying that he is going to do what he's promised i think that's what you can get just from this passage even if you don't understand the the, the nuts and bolts of the animal you can, exactly you can get that much out yeah exactly yeah yep. i mean and really that's that's a huge point that's great to know as well like, and that was really your main that? your main thrust of Sunday yeah that that's right this is God reassuring don't worry Abram I got it I'm going to do it yeah he's committed he's made the covenant yeah yep. there's more though so at that point one of the things that's really helpful is to have a, a Bible that has cross references so some of you may have a Bible that will have little numbers and letters all through the text and they'll have little footnotes and a verse will have a little footnote called a cross reference which points you to other references in the Bible Someone who's put the, 
you know, your edition of the Bible together has gone through and giving you these little links. And that's really helpful because they can show you how some other passages in the Bible can show light on a passage that might not be that clear on its own. So in my Bible, Genesis chapter 15, verse 10, where Abram cuts up all the animals, I have a little cross-reference pointing to Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18. Yeah. So then I flick over to Jeremiah 34 and have a bit of a read of that. And in Jeremiah 34, you have Jeremiah the prophet confronts King Zedekiah, the king of Judah, because the people of Judah, some of them have made this covenant where they've, they've promised that they're going to release their slaves. Mm-hmm. They've said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my slaves free. But then they go back on it and they decide, actually, they're pretty happy with having slaves. They don't want to set them free. Yep. Then Jeremiah 34, verse 18, the word of God says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. Uh-huh. Okay, so that's sounding a bit like what's happening in Genesis 15. You've got animals cut in two, you've got people passing between them. And this is where we get the point that the person making that kind of covenant ceremony is saying, make me like the animals if I go back on my word. Yeah. So that's where this comes from. Yeah, so it's sort of like when we sign a contract and there's sort of clauses that define the penalties if you break the the penalty. This is a very um, sort of vivid... (laughs) We're literally passing between cut-up animals and the the clause is if you don't keep the covenant, I'm going to cut you in half. And and God is saying, I will pass through and and, and I will keep this covenant. Um, You can... You can kill me if I don't. So yeah. is, is that sort of... That's what he's saying. Yeah, exactly. And we get that. That's really helpful. Having cross-references um, to take us to Jeremiah. We can see mm. how, how other bits of the Bible help us make sense of a, another bit of the Bible. More clear parts interpret the less clear parts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's really worth having a Bible that has cross-references in it. So my understanding is that most of us, well, lots of us will look at the Bible on our phone a lot of the time. And that doesn't necessarily give you the cross-references. You might just have the passage there in front of you. Yep. It can be really helpful to have one of these paper Bibles that has like a... Center a cent- column. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You've got a column down the middle that has the cross-references. You can also get that online. So if you're reading the Bible on Bible Gateway, there's a little option in the preferences where you can turn on cross-references. And if you are studying this passage closely, maybe if you're preparing your, for your growth group, or even if you're just reading it and you want to figure it out, Having that cross-reference option might be a, a thing that's really helpful to help you see how the whole Bible helps yeah. you interpret the little parts. And that's, I reckon, in my view, having a center column cross-reference Bible is is more helpful than having, say, like a study Bible. Some Bibles, like you get a study Bible where they sort of give you cheat notes down the bottom and some people bring them to Bible study and monopolize the discussion with their, <laughs> with, with their, um, yeah. uh, their, their cheat notes. But actually more helpful than that is, is a cross-reference Bible that actually takes you to other verses in the Bible to help you make sense of stuff. Yeah, that's right. So that's not just some guy telling you what the Bible means. That is finding another part of what God says. That's right. To help you tell yeah, what, he's, what he's saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's, let's try and pick up the pace here a little bit. Um, yep. So, uh, trivial question. Is this why brides walk down the aisle as a symbol of the covenant? Uh, I think basically, no, not really. I mean, this ceremony is like, this is the 4,000-year-old kind of ancient Near East covenant yeah, sure. ceremony. Our yep. modern marriage ceremony is, you know, a few hundred years old. Yep. European tradition. Yep. The father walks the bride down the aisle as a sign of, you know, giving her over to the new marriage, to her husband. Yeah, I don't think it's got that much to do with what's yep. happening in Genesis. Sure, we're not cutting our wedding guests in half. Hopefully so, not, yeah. Yeah, no, not at my wedding <laughs> anyway. Yep. 
Good. Okay. Um, all right. Now, um, fifteen six. That key verse. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Yeah. How is that connected back to the promises in twelve one to three? Um, and question follows: In what sense might it be that the fulfilment of uh, might it the righteousness be the fulfilment of blessing, as opposed to say the the material wealth that we've seen Abraham blessed with so far? Yeah, great question. So we're here thinking about what is the blessing that God has promised. God said, I'll bless you through you, Abram, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And the couple of chapters after that, the main way we've seen that blessing is in stuff. Abram comes out of Egypt with all these possessions. We've seen it in protection, like God delivers Abram from his enemies when he's fighting all the kings in chapter 14. Mm Mm-hmm. But here, chapter 15, verse 6, it does seem to be something new. And this Mm. having righteousness credited to him Mm. does seem to be a way that Abram is blessed. And that certainly seems to be the way that the Apostle Paul understands it. So in Galatians chapter 3, from verse 7, he says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And, And this is interesting. He announced the gospel in advance to Abraham when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Mm. So what that's saying is all these things are coming together. Uh, that righteousness idea and blessing are all, are all here together. Right from the start, God has announced to Abram he's going to bless the world. And in Galatians we find out the way that God's going to bless the world is by justifying those who have faith. That means by crediting that gift of righteousness to people who have faith in Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, I mean to sum that up, the the blessing ultimately is this righteousness. Everything else that Abram gets is good, but mm. the biggest thing that you can have is is being regarded as right before God. That's as good as it gets. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, and I guess we've been sort of holding on to this idea of what is blessing throughout um, the book of Genesis to this point, and, and here it starts to come a bit clear, doesn't it, that the blessing is the crediting of righteousness to your account by God, by grace, as, as you put your trust in him. And uh, that's certainly Abram's experience. That that yeah, as you've really helpfully taken us. That's Romans four, Galatians three. Both yeah. sort of pick up on this idea. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, yeah, that, that's helpful. so. There's, there's there's our big blessing, righteousness. Mm. Um, okay. Um, all right. Pushing along from that into chapter sixteen, um, Sarai um, sort of takes matters into her own hands. She wants to sort of get the the promise fulfilled, and her plan is to to give Abram. Um, her, her maidservant Hagar, yeah. whom Abraham then sleeps with and conceives a child with. Now, you sort of presented her uh, actions as um, perhaps taking matters into her own hands and therefore being a bad thing. Yeah, it doesn't sort of say that. Mm. Um, and is is this just Sarah being a bit of a sort of you know taking responsibility for the plan and sort of in the same way that each of us need to do something in response to God's promises? Is she really in the wrong here to, to have done this? I think it's a good question, and I think it helpfully points out that there is some ambiguity here. So, Genesis 15, verse 4, what God promises is this random guy, Eliezer of Damascus, is not going to be Abram's heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. That's mm. what God says. Okay. He doesn't say, and Sarai will necessarily be the mother. Yes. So here in chapter 15, all we know is that God is going to have a biological son. And so Abram, you know, Sarai's thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm really old. We haven't had a child yet. Abram's meant to have a biological son. Okay, I'll give Hagar as a second wife. And, you know, by the end of chapter 16, okay, Abram's got a son. Ishmael is born. And we're left wondering, okay, well, is that, you know, we one step closer to the promise. That's going yeah, to come yeah. about. Yep. Except, you know, well, 
it is a kind of bit of a weird situation and we don't really feel that comfortable about it. It doesn't seem that right. What God says about Ishmael seems a bit weird as well. So verse 12 of chapter 16. Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards his brothers. He's not the guy you want as your roommate. Exactly, yeah. I mean, when God blessed Abram, like, did you imagine donkey boy was going to be the, <laughs> the way that was going to come about? It doesn't sound like it's, it's quite, you know, in line with the promises God's given. Yeah. So I think that's the first clue that what Sarai does isn't right. Yeah. There is more, though. So there's also, there's a lot of echoes in chapter 16 of Genesis chapter 3, the fall. So there you have Eve listens to the the voice of the serpent and she sees the fruit and takes it and gives some to her husband. That kind of language is there in chapter 16, verse 3. So Sarai took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Yeah, that's an ominous little connection. Exactly right. The links, yeah, the the words are the same. And, you know, in in Genesis 3, Adam doesn't say anything. He just sits there and lets it happen. Mm. In the same way, Abram here just says, yeah, whatever, Sarah, yeah, you do what you want, whatever, whatever, you know. His wife wife brings a, you know, a younger woman and says, here, go have sex with her. He's thinking, okay. Well, if I have to. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So I think all of that is helping us see, it's not really, you know, it's not, Sarah's not condemned really explicitly but there's enough there to say the narrator is helping us see what she's doing there is not from faith in god's promise this is from her desire to to get her way i think and i take it given that her and abram are married the the most obvious way for her to understand god's promise when god says you're going to have a child is that it'll come through the marriage that they already have rather than thinking well let's grab another one and get another child some other way yeah i think that's right Yeah. yeah so yeah okay so so we can sort of Happily say the text does actually hint to us that this is not the right thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, so following up from that, Ishmael gets born, and we, donkey man, um, <laughs> helpfully called him. Um, there's a prophecy about Ishmael in, in verse 12 um, uh, that, that everyone's hand's going to be against him. He'll live in hostility towards all his brothers. Um, is that prophecy there be, as a result of the fact that this was a sinful thing and that it's almost like a consequence of the wrong decision. I think that is one of the things going on here. Yeah. I think, as I've said, it seems like Sarah did the wrong thing and what comes out of that is this, yeah, you know, this son's going to be born, Ishmael, that's a good thing, but he's going to be donkey boy. There's, there's, there's tension that's going to come about through this and that does seem to be some sort of judgment upon what mm. Abram and Sarah have done here. Yeah. But there's more going on as well. I mean, God... You know, speaks really tenderly to Hagar. She, she has to run away, and the angel of the Lord comes and brings her back. And you know, in verse eleven, we read, "The Lord has heard of your misery." Like God is also comforting Hagar. He's he's bringing blessing to Ishmael as well. Like we're going to see that in chapter seventeen. Like God's going to say, Ishmael is going to be a great nation as well. He's going to have twelve sons. You know, he's going to be this this great one too. But he's not the promised child. He is kind of blessed on the side. And that's part of Abram being the one through whom blessing comes to all the nations. Like Ishmael is like a little picture of that. Yeah. But he's not in the line of the promise. He's not getting that greatest blessing of, of being part of God's people and knowing yeah. knowing God and being counted righteous, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. So yeah, he, he's not... In, he is blessed at one level, but not in the line of the promise. And uh, so, and, and, he's, and, and he's at one level, as we, we, we come across the Ishmaelites later in the Bible as well, that who end up being a bit of a thorn in the side of um, yeah. Israel in, as they try to enter into the promised land in Judges. You read about them in Psalms at a few points. And yeah, so it, it's, not, uh, it's not really presented to us as a, as a great thing that, that Ishmael's been born, and yet God is merciful and still has, has 
compassion and mercy on both him and his mother. Yeah, great way to put it. Yeah. All right. That's it for the questions uh, for this week. Um, thanks for taking us through them, mate. Um, this coming Sunday, where are we heading in, in the scriptures? So we're looking at chapter 17 of Genesis, and this is all about the covenant. So we've seen the little, the little ceremony about how God has made his covenant with Abram. Chapter yep. 17, we get to find out a lot more about what this covenant means, what its terms are. We're talking about circumcision. Uh, get excited topic. for that. Yeah. Abram's response to the covenant. And we're going to see the promise become clearer and clearer because it's in chapter 17 that we do find out actually it's not going to be through Ishmael. Sarai herself is going to bear a son. Mm. As amazing as that sounds for the nine-year-old woman to uh, to have a child, that's what God is going to do. That's the, the terms of this covenant that he's setting, for, yeah. setting forth. And we're going to see how that points us to the new covenant that God has made with us through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, nice. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jack, for all your work. Looking forward to Sunday. Guys, keep your questions rolling in, and uh, we want to thank you for those that you sent through. It's just fantastic. It helps push us along, and, yeah, it's a great blessing to serve this, serve you guys this way by opening up the Word and trying to make sense of, uh, of what it says to us all. Absolutely. Loving it. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's it from us. We'll see you at church on the weekend. See you later. Yeah.